The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, if you are new or a visitor, if you're a guest, uh, welcome. My name is Penny. And I'm uh, the senior pastor here, and it is great, great for you to, great to be here with you and for us to be able to gather together and, and worship the Lord. And if you are new to us, uh, you are joining us in the midst of a sermon series in the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible, you can turn uh, in those Bibles to 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll be projecting the passage on the screens in just a moment. We're going to be looking at the end of 1 John 2 and a portion of 1 John 3 this morning. If you were with us last week, then you might remember that uh, we heard from God's word that we are living in the end times. This is it. We're not waiting for it. It's not some distant day off into the future. It's today. We are in the midst of it. It's the fourth quarter of redemptive history. But we also know that that quarter is going to end one day, right? That one day we will look up and the scoreboard will register zero and the game will be over. And though we are confident and we are sure that Jesus is the victor and the outcome is without question, his coming, his bringing an end to this redemptive history, his coming and consummating his kingdom has impact for us today. And that's what John's helping us to see. He's helping us to look beyond the time in which we live, and he's looking to the day when Jesus will return. And that has impact for us today. So kids, think about like this. Kids, you've probably experienced a time when mom goes away for a few days, right? She's out of town maybe for a week or so. And you can guarantee two things are going to happen when mom is gone, Right? Two things, every single family. One is you are going to eat more pizza and ice cream than you ever have in a week before. Right? The other thing you're going to be, that you can guarantee is going to happen is that about 24 hours before mom returns, there is going to be a frantic cleaning up of the house. Right? It's okay, kids. You can say it. It's true. Like, you're, you're not outing your dad. You're not telling on him. Mom knows this is what takes place. I mean, this is what takes place in my family. A few years ago, Kat went on a trip to China. She was gone for seven or ten days. She went with a friend who had adopted a, a girl, and they were taking the girl back to explore China. She was old enough to have memories. And so what happened in the Penny Legion home? Pizza, ice cream, tacos. That's basically all we survived off of, right? And 24 hours before Kat got back, before she was to return, what happened? We made sure all the laundry had been washed. It was folded. It was put away. The floor was swept and the bathrooms were wiped down. It was like we had never lived there. <laughs> and we did this because she, we knew she was returning. We knew she was coming back. And we didn't want her to find a house or a family in complete disarray. We knew she was returning and so we wanted to be prepared for her return. And our passage tells us that Jesus is returning, that he's coming back. And so the question we have to ask as we come to this passage is, are we prepared? Well, let's follow along. 1 John 2, beginning in verse 28. John writes, and now, little children, abide in him 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this, it, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we ask uh, that you would help us now as we come to your word. Father, we are in need of your grace and your mercy. Uh, we want to walk in righteousness. We want to follow you. We want to uh, live as Christ has lived, but we know that apart from you, we can't do it. And so we ask that you would meet with us now and you would help us, that you'd shape us, that you would form us into the image of Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So you heard it immediately, right? As soon as we began reading the passage, we heard it when he appears. That's what John says, when he appears. Not if, not maybe, not perhaps, not one day, not man, I really hope so, but, but when. There is a certainty that Jesus is going to return. Now, we don't know when that day is going to come, right? Jesus himself said in Matthew 24 that his coming, he likened it to that of a thief in the night, right? The thief doesn't come when the, the master of the house is expecting it. Because then the master would be prepared, the master would be ready. And Jesus said, just as the thief comes when the master is not ready, so too will the Son of Man, the Son of God. He will appear when you are not ready, when you are not expecting him to come. And so be prepared. Be prepared. And that's how John starts this passage. Little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So Jesus is returning, and so when he returns, we want to be ready and be prepared so that we would not stand before him in shame, but we would stand before him confidently. With confidence, but with confidence in what? Well, in who we are, in who God has made us to be. We see it. We are the children of God. That's what he says in 3.1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Y'all, that's who you are, right? That's what John's telling us, that if you are trusting in Jesus, you are a child of God. 
You are a brother or sister of the Savior. You are a child of the King. That's who you are. And we can't forget that. We, can, we can't stop remembering that. We have to constantly be reminded of this, that if you are trusting in Jesus, you are not your own. You do not belong to the world anymore. Sin does not reign over you anymore. You're a child of God. You're a child of God because we are born of him. That's what he says in verse 29. That is why we are children of God. Now, for some of us, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, well, duh, of course I'm a child of God. Aren't we all children of God? You've heard this before, haven't you? I mean, the, the brotherhood of man, the sisterhood of man or, or of woman, right? Like, like we're, we're all just children of God, right? Every person in this world, we're all children of God, right? You've heard this. Then sure, there are some who are maybe more favored children, and there's some who are black sheep children, but, but we're all the same, aren't we? We're all part of God's family. We've heard that before, but that's not how the Bible actually appropriates this, is it? That's not what John says. No, John actually makes sure that we know that there's a contrast that's taken place. We see it in verse 1. There's a contrast between God and the world. This is why he tells us that the world doesn't know us because it did not know him. And so there are those in the world who, who don't know what it means to be a part of God's family. But we see it also in verse 10. There's a contrast between the children of God and the children of the devil. And so it's very clear what John is telling us. Not everyone is a member of God's family. All have been created by God. All have been formed by God. But not all are his children. Only those born of him. Only those who know his love. I mean, we actually heard it this morning in our assurance of pardon, didn't we? We were once not a people. That's what he said. We were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And why? Because God has made us this way. Because of God's love. That's what we're told in verse 1. It's out of God's love that God makes us his children. So how do we know if we know his love? How do we know if we're abiding in that love? Well, that's actually the question that we've been asking again and again, isn't it? How do we know? How can we be sure? How can we have confidence that we are God's? Well, John tells us in verse 29, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Do you want to know if you've been born of God, if you are one of his children? Then, then we are to look at our practice, how we behave, how we act, how we respond to his grace. That word practice, it shows up seven times in our passage. It's used both with regard to positive as well as negative in the negative form. We see it positively in verses 29 and verse 7 with regard to practicing righteousness, but then we see it negatively in verses 4, 8, 9, and 10, with the practicing of sin and of lawlessness. And so what John is telling us is that our practice, our manner of lives, will reveal whose we really are. That's the sense of the word, practice. It's getting at our behavior, at our actions. And so John says, the children of the devil are going to practice and behave in accord with the ways of the devil. And the children of God are going to practice and behave according to the ways of God. And this actually makes sense, right? This is how families work. 
If you were to look at my kids, right, Lane, Mead, and Cole, you watch their mannerisms, you hear their words, you listen to the phrases that they use, right? You just look at them and you can tell they're Penny and Cat's children, right? I mean, it's clear. They're, they're their own little people, their own persons, right? Lane is Lane and Mead is Mead and Cole is Cole and the, there's no overlapping in that, but, but they sound and act and look like me, right? I mean, this, this is what happens in our families, not just the Pain Legion family. Like, we're not unique in this. This is in y'all's families as well. Sometimes for good and sometimes for ill, if we're being honest with ourselves. Right? This is what happens in our families. That children look and act like their parents. And this is true not just of our natural families. This is true of our spiritual family. You see, the expectation is that those who have been born again, who have been born of God, know the Father's love, will be transformed by that love to look more and more like Christ. To look more and more like Jesus. And so our practice, our behavior, our actions should reflect that we are children of God. Now, it's at this point where we need to maybe pause the conversation for a second. And we need to acknowledge that 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 we have to make sure we get this order right. Because uh, it would be very easy for us to think that to practice or our behavior makes us children of God. Don't hear that. Because that's not what the Bible tells us. It's not because of what we do. It's not because of how we act that God then says, oh, you are my child. No, it's the reverse. It's out of his love that he makes us his children. His love that sent his son to live and to die and to rise again. Right? We have nothing to do with that. Just as my kids had nothing to do with them becoming my children, we have nothing to do with becoming the children of God. He does it on our behalf. It is out of his love that he showers us with grace and mercy, and he calls us part of his people, his family. No, it's his love that actually motivates us to live in a way that reveals that we are the children of God. To reflect the fact that he has made us his own. And we hear this all over the scriptures. It's not just in 1 John. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New. Like, think about Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, right? This is a classic passage about we are saved by grace, Right? It's not by work so that no one can boast. It is by the, only the gift of God that we are brought into his family. But then in verse 10, Paul tells us, having received that grace, having received that mercy, we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. That that grace and that mercy should actually motivate us to live in light of that grace and mercy. That we are to practice righteousness. And that's what verse 29 tells us. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So we look at our lives. We look at our lives to examine them and to see, are we living as children of God? Now, if you're doing any sort of honest reflection, at this point you might start feeling a little squeamish. Maybe feeling a little bit nervous because the truth is, is that if we're honest about our lives... And we look at our lives that, that there are times where we don't look very righteous. Every one of us, right, we experience sin and we face temptation. 
And sometimes we give in to it. And there are times where our lives do not look very much like Christ. And so it would be easy for us to start to wonder, well, well, maybe I'm not really born of him. And that's an honest question. That is a good thing for us to actually ponder and consider. Paul actually said that to the Corinthian church. He said that you should examine the nature of your life, the manner of your life, and ensure that you are in step with the Spirit, that you are walking with the Lord. And so there is an aspect of reflection that is healthy and right. Even when we're looking perfect or holy or righteous from the outside, we know what's going on inside, don't we? We know the recesses of our hearts. We know the things that we hold on to that no one else knows. Sometimes we confess that, don't we? Father, forgive me for the sins that everyone knows and the sins that no one knows. We know our minds, the thoughts that are tucked away. We know the temptations we struggle with and the sins we fall victim to. So does it mean that if we are children of God, we will never sin? It's not what it means. We know that that's not what it means, that we will automatically live a sinless life, because John actually took up this question in chapter 1. You remember he said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, what John is not saying is that once you become a child of God, once you are brought into God's family, that you will automatically stop sinning. They'll just, it's done. You'll live a pure and holy life forever. That's not what he's saying. He's actually telling us that the struggle against sin will occur for the rest of our lives or until Jesus returns, whichever comes first. No, what John is talking about here is the manner of our lives the posture of our lives, the direction of our lives. That's why the language of practicing is so helpful. Because to practice something means you're doing it over and over and over again, right? I mean, if you're a basketball player, you shoot every single day, at least if you want to be good. And you practice it again and again and again, right? And you practice it the right way. I have this phrase that I use with my team when I coach baseball. They're not allowed to say practice makes perfect because that is a lie. Practice does not make perfect, y'all. Perfect practice makes perfect. And so on the field, they know this. We are going to practice perfectly again and again and again so that we do it right and we do it the right way and we're going to play the right. And so if you're a basketball player, you're practicing perfectly every day again and again, right? If you're a singer, you're going over your scales again and again and again. If you're an actress, you're rehearsing your lines again and right? This is what we do. We practice and we do it again and again and again. And the best athletes and the best musicians and the best actors, they return to the same drills and the same scales and the same things over and over and over again. Why? Because this is part of who they are. It's because this is a part of how they live. They practice who they are. And so do we. So what are we practicing? Are our lives growing in righteousness or sinfulness? Are we practicing dependence or self-reliance? Are we practicing and growing in repentance or self-righteousness? That's actually a great question for us to ask, to look at. Are, Are we growing in repentance 
not just repentance when we first believed, when we first realized our sin and our need for a Savior, but, but daily are, we, are our lives marked by repentance. Martin Luther in his 95 Theses, right, that document that he hammered on the Wittenberg church door that begun, it was the, the fuel for the Reformation, the very first of his theses was that when Christ said, repent, he willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. And so are we repenting? Are we seeing our sin? Are we turning away from it? That's what it means to practice righteousness. Because one born of God, a child of God, is so changed that we won't become comfortable with our sin, but we will hate our sin. We will long to be rid of it. We don't return to our old manner of life, but, but instead we desire what awaits us. And what awaits us? Christ. He's what is waiting for us. That those who have been changed by Jesus will be changed into the likeness of Jesus. That when he returns, we can have confidence not just in who he has made us to be, who we are, but we will have confidence in who he's making us to be in who we will be. We see it in verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. That, y'all, that is an amazing verse. That is an incredibly comforting verse. We will be like him. That's what John tells us. We will be like him. We won't be like him in every way, right? Jesus from the time of the incarnation for all eternity is both 100% God and 100% man. That's not us. When we see him, we don't take on divinity. We don't become little gods. And yet we do become like him. We become like him physically because we too will have glorified bodies. Bodies without pain and suffering. I mean, can you all imagine that? Can you imagine that, the aches that you feel? The pain that some of you are experiencing even now as you sit there? The bones that creak? The vision that's failing? The groan that just naturally comes out of us when we stand or when we sit? No more. No more aches and pains. No more addiction. No more brokenness. That's what awaits us. Can you all imagine that? We'll still have bodies. We'll still have flesh and bone and blood, but, but glorified bodies. Free from the weight of sin, free from the curse, that's what awaits us. We'll be changed physically. We will become like him physically, but we'll also become like him morally. Hearts no longer deceived. People who can no longer sin. Minds that are no longer consumed by the world. A day when our joys aren't competing any longer with sadness. A day when sin will be no more. Can y'all imagine that? Y'all, that is unfathomable. It is so remarkable. That that's not just the land or the place like the new heavens and the new earth. That is what it's going to be marked by. But it's not just the land or the, the, the place that we will inhabit. But that will be our experience. No more sin. No more brokenness, no more aches, eternal life of righteousness. That's what awaits you and me. I mean, can you think about Penny? Penny and Bob and Caitlin and Suzanne, 
and bays and coal and lane and Mary and, and all the rest of us free from sin. Penny, no longer sinning. Rachel, free from sin. Right? Marina, no longer... Like, this is what awaits us, y'all. That is the promise that Jesus gives us. That there is a day coming when we will see him as he is and be like him. We'll still be ourselves, but we'll be like Christ. That who, those who will see him as he is will be transformed and changed. And y'all, that informs how we live today. That informs how we live today. I mean, he said in verse 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who hopes in Christ's return of becoming like him when we will see him, our lives today are informed by that, by who he will be. This one who is pure and righteous, who is making us pure and righteous, we are to live in that light today. I've heard this illustrated and described with reference to Prince William. You all know who Prince William is, right? The Crown Prince of England, right? Well, at least the Canadians know who Prince William is. <laughs> Prince William. <laughs> God save the Queen, Frank. Come on. Um, so uh, Prince William is in line to be the King of England, right? He's the next. He's going to be the King of England one day. One day he will sit upon the throne, and the crown will rest upon his head. And that has been his future since the very first breath he took. As soon as he was born, everyone knew, the world knew, he would come to know that he would one day be king. And so his entire life has been directed and oriented around that moment. His education, right? His, his learning of economic policy, his understanding of the monarchy, his, his service in the military. It has all been directed to this reality that one day he will be the king. He doesn't know when it's coming. He doesn't know when that day will be, but he knows it will come. And so every moment of his life has been in preparation for that day. And y'all, the same is true of us. That those who have been born to new life, who by God's love are now the children of God, because of who we are today, we practice righteousness. Today, we practice righteousness because of who we are and because of who we will be. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you are transforming us, that you are changing us, that you have made us your own, that once we were orphans, but now we are part of the members of God's family. We are part of your family because of your love and your grace. And so we pray that we would live as members of that family, we would live as the children of God, righteous, pursuing truth, repenting, turning from our sin, and walking in step with you. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly and make all things new. Come quickly and change us so that we would be free from sin and we would be like you. But until that day, equip us to walk in step with your spirit and to pursue righteousness and truth and to live as the children of God. For that's who we are. And we thank you for that. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.